right, guys, welcome back to episode number seven of The Motivation Story. This is a podcast where we go out and find some of the most extraordinary people that have done some of the most amazing things, and we learn more about their story and, and how they've gotten there. Um, I know it's been a while since the last episode, guys. I'm so sorry. I've been crazy busy uh, trying to get the business going, um, but that didn't stop our fire guest that we got lined up and, and the one that we got sitting here with us today. Today, we have Hattie Dijamal. I said that right, yep. Hattie? Yep, awesome. yep, you got it. Um, and we're super excited to have her on to the show. Uh, she's got an awesome personality. She's been in media for a long time, um, all the way from being the, the the main host of the Houston Shell. No, the Houston, not the Houston Shell. It was the Houston Grand Prix. You're the official yeah. host for that, right? Yep, you got to yep. interview all the racers too. Um, you've done some movies. I so, have actress. None, none that have probably made mainstream, but yeah, I, I, I start off as an actor. So yeah. Oh, I looked them up. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, actress and then all the way into uh, news, uh, new, what, what's the right word there? I'm looking for news. Oh, well, I, I guess infotainment, but I did, I did get my start in news. So like, I mean, the first time I entered uh, traditional broadcast, it was, it was through news. So yeah. Okay, cool. All the way to where you are today. Um, and recently you've just joined a national, national broadcast. Is that right? I did. Um, so now I'm a part of a show called The List and um, I, I'm coming on as one of their correspondents. And I'm super excited because the show is literally uh, right up my alley. It is, it is um, infotainment. So basically it's something that is uh, kind of blending the world of, you know, um, entertainment and, um, you know, I, I, I can't think of like what it is that I, how I want to wrap it up, but basically along the lines of if you want to know something, um, you're going to get that information, but it's always going to be entertaining when you get it. So not similar, not like E, right? Or what's that? Uh, not um, maybe like um, Inside Edition. Would probably Inside Edition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. So close to that. Just about the thing is, is you want to think of like the list is more like a magazine style show. So anything that like if you're at the grocery store and you're like looking at the magazine aisle, anything that would be on that rack is basically what you could find in our show. So anything from like profile pieces of people that are doing just like your podcast, you know, uh, you might catch a story of somebody doing something really amazing, um, you know, beauty, uh, health, wellness, uh, down to finding out what the color of your aura is, <laughs> you know, you'll hear it all. Have you, have you done one with the beauty of your aura before? I, not yet. So <laughs> uh, I'm actually, I've just, I've just uh, got out my first week. So that was really uh really fun. I got a chance to kind of, you know, meet everyone on the show and, um, get acclimated. Um, there's a lot of work that goes on behind the scenes to, to make that like half hour show. It's, it seems like it's really quick and it flies by, but if you see the amount of work, uh, and detail that's put in, I guess on the back end, it's, it's really, um, amazing. So I don't want to go down a rabbit hole just yet of what you're doing, but I got to ask, so with COVID and, and how is that, kind of changed you know being brought into something like this in a time like we are today man um I gotta tell you uh it's uh caused some major depression I think that's for everyone right not even the people <laughs> yeah. that are in this this industry specifically but for like people that are in this industry especially in my role 
where my job actively calls on me to interact with people on a day-to-day -day basis and, and be face-to-face -face down from my coworkers, my peers, to brand new people I'm meeting, to have that immediately just stop. It came to an immediate halt. And then everyone is kind of like put into this box, which is called your house. <laughs> and, um, you know, you are, you're there from start until finish. And then on top of that, you live there. So you're not going anywhere else, but the, the lack of human interaction and connection. Oh my God. That is the hardest part for me by far. <laughs> um, I, I can only imagine, um, you know, so if in the industry I'm in, I'm still able to get out and about and, and meet with people. And we're usually outside up on top of roofs and things like this. So it's, uh, yeah. <clears throat> I mean, I've obviously experienced the, the, the struggles, but um, real quick, where can everybody find you uh, on your Instagram or where do you want people to reach out and, and look you up? Um, so anywhere on social media, you'll find me as Hattie, the host. So you can look me up and you can find me that way. Um, and anyone that uh, wants to reach out on my Instagram, if you want to contact me directly, uh, my email's listed up there. So feel free to give me a shout. And just so everybody who's listening knows, we will put that um, in the description of the podcast. So look for it there. All right. So Hattie, um, I kind of want to jump in and, and, and ask, you know, you, did you always want to be, uh, an actress or, or TV or, or, you know, is this, so, is this always what you wanted? So as far as like this being something I've always wanted to do, I knew I wanted to be on TV since I was five. Like since oh, I, was wow. five, I was very, very little. The difference is, is when I was five, my, um, biggest, you know, aspiration at the time was to be a tiny tune. I loved <laughs> the Acme Acres cartoon. And I remember asking my dad, like, how can I get in that? Like, I, I would tell him, like, I want to be in the story. I want to be a part of the story. And, um, you know, obviously, as, as I got older, I, I just was always drawn to that. I loved being in front of an audience. I loved all of the oral presentations that you get to give throughout school. Like anything that allowed me to, oh my gosh. to get up and, and speak in front of people or persuade people or anything in that, in that regard, I was all for. But the funny thing is, is that despite the fact that I knew that that was, you know, what I loved, um, it wasn't, it did not get as specific as I want to be a TV host until far later in life. Um, it was, I thought I wanted to be a lawyer first, obviously, because everyone was like, you talk a lot. <laughs> so, um, and also when I have a point set in my mind or I, I have a stance, I forget about it. Forget about it. <laughs> you know what I mean, there's there's not enough energy drinks in the world to carry you. I go purely on, on natural energy behind that. But um, yeah, I, I basically thought I was going to go into law school. Um, and, you know, my parents uh, are, you know, they're immigrants. Hell, I'm an immigrant, <laughs> which I didn't find out about until later. But that's a whole other story for a whole other time. But um, is it though? We might need, we might need to bring <laughs> some of that in. <laughs> well, um, I didn't realize that I wasn't a citizen. I just figured it was something that happened along the way because I wasn't born here. I was born in Tunisia. And so. And for um, those that don't know, where is that? Oh, so Tunisia is in North Africa, small country. It's wedged right in between uh, Libya and Algeria. And that's where my dad is from. My mom okay. is from Sudan. So I just okay. consider myself extra African, basically. Okay, cool. Um, <laughs> and so uh, when we came to the States, we came to Texas. And uh, that's where I grew up. I'm a Texas girl at heart. Okay. And um, 
when we got there, uh, I, you know, started life. I was, I was about four years old, five years old, started going to school, whatever. My whole adult life, I had two younger brothers. They were born here, so they were naturalized citizens. Right. It wasn't until I was in my early 20s and was getting ready to travel overseas, and I was like, oh, are so you I kidding I'm me? I'm going to Turkey, and, and my parents were like, Holy oh, that's cool. you're going to need a passport. And I was like, yeah, uh, so what, you you go to, like, the passport store? Like, where do you, where do you <laughs> get a passport? I don't, I don't know. Um, and I know that sounds extremely ignorant, but... Um, well, if you don't know, you don't know, never, right? I never left Texas. I never traveled. I never, there was no reason. So I had no reason to know that, right? Wow. Um, and so basically, uh, they were like, yeah, you, you're going to need to be a citizen first. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> they were like, yeah, you're not a citizen. I was like, I'm not a citizen? They were like, no. I was like, wait, but what about my brothers? They were like, they were born here. I was like, well, what about you guys? And they were like, oh, we got our citizenships along that. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> You're like, hold up, hold up, folks. What's what's happening here? You know. So I actually became a U.S. citizen, um, and I had my anniversary not so long ago, February twenty second, two thousand eleven. Woo! Yeah, I am an American, and uh, super happy about it too. Uh, wow. Because that's crazy. What a crazy story! Holy moly! Oh, there's plenty more, but that's definitely a, a main one. But um, yeah, so I mean, being that kind of just ties right back into basically, you know, uh, that whole thing, though, is like, I came from a family that literally, you know, they they came to the States and their objective was just to make a better life, right, than, than what they could acquire back home. And um, for me, it was, you know, I when you come to the States with that mindset, you know, my parents very much so the completely different people now, I mean, all the way down to their names. My mom is Julie Love and my dad is Ted Benz and those are their real American names. Um, but they, you know, they carried that sense of like the mentality back home and it took a long time for, you know, all of that for them to kind of become, you know, who they are now. Um, but during that time is when I grew up. So obviously, you know, my parents were like, you know, you, you need to, get her, get her actual career, you know, be a doctor, be a lawyer, be a, something that is, you know, we can tell people and they'll immediately be able to identify what you do. Um, and it was kind of difficult to kind of say, oh, I want to be an actor. There's no, there's no direct career path to actor, you know? Um, and so it was something that kind of fell by the wayside. Um, and it wasn't until I would say, I hit my early 20s um, and we ended up moving because I grew up in the Dallas-Fort Worth area and we left. Uh, my, my, dad <laughs> my dad, yeah, right. My dad moved from uh, from Fort Worth and brought us out to Houston. And um, when I first got to Houston, that was the first time I lived truly somewhere else. I first time I ever left my environment, never had friends um, and people that I met in college. I was starting all the way over again. Uh, I was working full time because I was living by myself. I didn't have a roommate at what, the time. What were you doing if you don't mind me asking? <laughs> all right. So, uh, <laughs> good stuff. Yeah, really good stuff. I was actually a recruiter, okay, an educational recruiter for ITT Tech. Do you remember that scam? I do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's the reason why they don't exist anymore. Wow. Um, and so I was working as, as doing that for a while. Um, and I just remember, oh my God, I hated that job. I mean, with every ounce of me. And so it was during that period, it was during that time that kind of like it all 
all started, right? Because I remember waking up in the morning and the sound of like an old school alarm with the like red digital letters, just, eh, 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 and I would <laughs> just person. turn over and look at it. And I remember it was, it was like, I, I was living in Groundhog's Day. You know, I would go to school. I was going to school online. I didn't see anyone. I didn't know anyone. I was basically actually living in 2020 back then. Like um, <laughs> there's no zoom, <laughs> right? There's nothing. I'm just like, it's, it's this, like my apartment, my job and like starting the cycle over again with school, like online. And that was it. And, um, I remember looking at my alarm clock one morning and thinking to myself, God, I wish I could just sleep and not wake up. And then it hit me and I was like, wait, <laughs> that's death. Yeah. <laughs> I'd rather die than get up and go to this job. And I remember at that moment, it hit me. I was like, I can never work a job that I don't absolutely love ever in life, ever, period. And I, because what is the purpose? Like you are going to work pretty much until you get to the point where you're not physically capable anymore, which means you're not too far away from death anyway, at that point. So that's my whole life. I got to love what I do. And that's when I learned that lesson. Like that's when it hit me. Um, and so I started, I, I, I was taking acting classes and I would be at work like a, so you, you were taking movie. acting classes cause you, you knew, right. You said you wanted from, from well, so when know, I moved to Houston, I told you I didn't know anyone, right. I knew nobody. So I needed to create some kind of break between something that got me out in the end. Um, this was the first job that I had gotten. Um, even I was still in school. I was still in college, but it gave me a salary. And so, um, and where'd you go to college? Uh, so I, I was at U of H. Oh yeah. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. Hey. University of Houston. Yes. <laughs> um, so it's funny cause I went to university of Texas in Arlington for the first two years. Um, and then I left and transferred out to U of H. Um, but yeah, I was, I was, uh, a philosophy major at the time and a communications minor. Um, and that's just because I thought I was going to law school and communications was, again, I, I just always loved it. So it just stayed as something in my back pocket. And then um, I started taking acting classes in Houston really to create some kind of social life for myself. And then when I had that moment, it all hit me. And I was like, this is what I want to do. Like I'm at, when I was working at the time, like I'm looking at the clock and like a fifth grader looking for recess, right? right like I'm right. like five o'clock, boom, I'm out. Especially days when it was <laughs> acting classes, I was I was so excited. I you know I'd be so pumped to drive into acting class, and um, so that's when it hit me, and I was like, I want to do this. Like I love this. Like look how excited I am to get here. You know, drive through Houston traffic, and if anybody knows what that's like, and I'm so excited to be sitting in that traffic, right? So that's that's basically when it all started. And then I started taking it more seriously. Um, and the funny thing is, is that I, um, I actually auditioned to be in the theater school at the university of Houston. And the, um, the first time I auditioned, I actually, I got rejected and I was so prepared and I thought it was, I thought it was such a solid performance. And they sent me. You're sitting there like taking a bow. Yeah, like I'm like, you're, you're welcome. Like, you're welcome. Uh -uh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> right. Immediately stopped. <laughs> and so um, I get the rejection letter and I was just like, dang it. I was like, you know what? I got to find like I got to get in, though. Like, I know this is what I want to do. Right. I got to get in. So I ended up um, like emailing the 
can't remember who she was. It was a, it was a older white lady and older white gentleman. They were so nice. Um, and so I tracked her email down. Um, <laughs> I, I don't remember the process, but I, I basically went from department to department. I tracked her email When we want down. some, we get it, no matter how. Exactly. And so once I did, I emailed her and I was like, listen, I, I know that I just got my rejection letter, this and that. I was like, I, um, I would really like some feedback. Like, tell me what, like, I was like, I maybe, you know, just tell me what I can do to get better. And I was like, I really want to get into this program. I was like, I want to at least be ready for the next time I can audition. And she was like, and I was not expecting this, but she, she emails me back and she's like, you know what? Why don't you audition? Why don't you like come back in and audition again? And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, she was like, take the, like, you, you, she was like, sure. So she gave me all her feedback. She was like, you have my feedback, come back and audition again. And I did. And at the end of it, they were like, you're in, like, we'll accept you. That's awesome. And so I was super pumped at that point. Then things, then life happened. (laughs) And this is where everything kind of like things were on a path and then it just stopped. Um, and it was all my own choices. So I basically, I dropped out of school. Um, I was about 20, gosh, 22, going on 23-ish at that point. And, um, and you had just gotten into the program that you wanted so badly, yep, right? Yep. Okay. Like all of these things were happening. <laughs> um, I had, I, I had got, I had gotten an agent. I finally got an agent. Um, so at that point, I like I I I got an agent, and within two weeks, they sent me out on some like Nokia ad, and I ended up booking it. I was like, oh my wow. god! Like it just felt like things were. I'm like, this is exactly as things should be. Like uh, things are working out so great. Um, and then <laughs> again, life happens. So outside of life happens to everybody, right? And they're yeah, own yeah. Crazy the thing way. is, when you're 22. It's usually because you made life happen to you, not because <laughs> life happened to you. Um, so I basically, I ended up leaving the country. I dropped out of school. I left the country and I went overseas. Now, the story within that is extremely convoluted. Um, sure. But I will say that it's, um, I went through a phase of self-discovery because, like I mentioned, I'm half Tunisian and half Sudanese and um, fit in nowhere, right? Like, even within my own culture, I'm a minority. My mix is, the mix that I have is not a common one. The cultures between my two parents are not the same. They're similar, but they're not the same. Um, and I don't speak any one proper dialect of either either one because my, my parents, it's, it, it's kind of like if you live, some, live with someone that has an accent and suddenly their accent rubs off on you. That's how it is. So like what, what we speak at home essentially doesn't, is not proper anything. It's, it's a combination <laughs> of like dialects. Right. Um, and my dad, um, is, you know, pretty much, he is completely non-religious. My dad is, you know, an atheist and my mom is a Muslim. Um, but I would say more so she probably skews agnostic. Um, but like, you know, that is what she identifies as, I should say. So the thing is, is that growing up in this, like we never fit in anywhere, right? Like, 
atheism now is, is just now kind of a con like back then people thought a like atheism meant you worship the devil. I'm like, you still don't understand what atheism is if you think I worship the devil. Um, so like, um, atheism back then and, and a combination of that. And like, both of my parents are, you know, um, they have very different mentalities. My dad, he left Tunisia when he was 16 and moved overseas and grew up in Sweden. So he speaks Swedish, he speaks English, he speaks Arabic, um, and he speaks French. Wow. And my mom, she just, she's always lived in Sudan her whole life. So, I mean, growing up in this kind of environment, it even growing up, like my parents were so strict on me. I mean, unbelievably strict on me. And I was the oldest and the only girl. So I had all of the responsibilities and none of the freedom. And, um, it was really kind of a, a learning thing for me because, um, it was, it was me learning like, who am I and where do I fit in? Who am I within the world? Like, who am I when it comes to my ethnicity? Who am I when it comes to my religion? Who am I when it comes to all of these things? Um, and so the first time I left the U S um, I, I traveled to Turkey and, um, I was in a relationship at the time. So I, I traveled with that guy, uh, to Turkey and that was the first time I left the country and it just sent me in a whole new place. And I was like, holy crap, there's a world out there. Right. And I was like, and I can't believe that I've never seen it. And I came back and I was in such awe and I was going on and on about how I want to go back. And my dad was like, you know, Turkey is a very beautiful country. He was like, but you know, Tunisia is a beautiful country. It's your, your own country. And I was like, holy crap, you're right. Like I, I've never even, I, it's true. Right. And so I started like connecting with all my family and everything back overseas. Um, and to fast forward along the story, I basically ended up connecting with someone and we ended up getting into a relationship. And I basically was like, well, I'm in love. So this is it. It's been real folks. <laughs> I, <laughs> I dropped out of school. I like maxed out my credit cards. I sold all of my belongings. Wow, wow. I pulled my financial aid. Like I was like, bye, I'm out. Deuces. <laughs> yeah. And so I was like, you know, it was, it was one of those things where like you go into, you like, you have a chunk of money, you go into a casino and you're like, you know what? I'm going to just bet on red and it's black. Like, <laughs> and you, you saved, you had no backup plan for anything to go wrong. Like right. that is what I did. And so, you know, when they say burn the ships, yeah, <laughs> you burn the ships, the ships, like the, the, the cars that the people drove up to, to get on the ship. I burned everything, <laughs> nothing left. And then, um, wow. So I go over there and, um, you know, at that point I'm like, this is my, like, this is me, this is where I come from. And I'm going through this process. So on the relationship front, long story short, turns out, uh, the guy just wanted a visa pretty much. Yeah. And so that was fun. I'm pretty sure that that whole reality show, the, <laughs> the 90 day fiance thing, pretty sure that is based on my life in some capacity. <laughs> I feel like somebody heard my story in passing and was like, that would make a great reality show. <laughs> um, as with the rest of my life, honestly. But um, so anyway, he wanted a visa during the time that I was there. Um, Cause so he, he and I got married and we got divorced in a span of like three and a half months. 
done. Okay. Wow. My experience over there, like it was by far the hardest thing I've ever gone through in my life. I have never experienced anything like that. I was over there and like to, to dive into what it really meant to be there. Like his, his parents basically were, everyone was all in on it and they were able to manipulate me into paying for their electricity bill, the, the food. Like I was just spending money on everything. And, um, we were going to open a business together. And um, again, it was with everything that I brought over there. And um, so we were gonna open up this like internet cafe and like, so his mom, I mean, and at the time you gotta remember, like I'm in the mindset of like, I love this person. This is the love of my life. And he loves me, like, we're good. You know what I mean? And he, he has my back and it's like, things are great. But as this happens and it's slowly unfolding, um, once I realized what it, what it actually all is about, like what it actually all is. Um, cause I went through so much emotional shit there, but I was in a country that like, even though it was my home, I, I truly felt like I didn't fit in. You know what I mean? Um, there was so much that I had to, that I had to deal with that. Like, I mean, there were times like I couldn't go jogging in the morning in the streets because like people would look at me like, what is she doing? Like, that's shameful, you know? And it's not that the country is even that kind of level of close-minded, but there is a culture that exists within the community. Right. And there's not any diversity. Like you have no idea the level of stress because and this sounds so bad, but like I can remember the last time I had sushi. Like you take things, small things here for granted, like so much so. And that's the one, right? The one thing that I really learned was that like, I was like, I had such an amazing life back home that I did not appreciate at all. And things that were just part of my life. Like if I, if I want sushi, I can just drive up the street, especially in Houston, Jesus, go to Chinatown. Like, that's not an issue. If I want Mexican, if I want Mediterranean, if I want Korean, it doesn't matter. Like the world is my, like I, I basically have the world at my fingertips. And um, even meeting people like of different walks of life from different backgrounds, you know, like everyone doesn't look the same here. It's weird when they do like when i when you right. live in a country where like <laughs> literally everyone looks the same like there were times where like i remember there was like these little mini buses like these little <laughs> minivans that like they they drive around they're kind of like uh they're not a bus it's just a van like you know you can kind of like a cab right and there were um some korean tourists that were coming in and like i saw them and for a second it's like I, I saw them and I immediately was like, hi, where are you guys from? Like, it was so refreshing <laughs> to see somebody. And then they were just like, they didn't understand me. Like, I'm like, they were like full, they were literally tourists and like from Korea. So they didn't even speak English, but like, for me, I registered, like, they must be Americans. <laughs> you like freaked out. <laughs> you clearly are American. So let's talk, you know? And, <laughs> um, and it's just, it's one of those things where it's like, I was so incredibly homesick you know, and I had burnt my bridge back home. So like, I didn't even, like I, I was in, in Tunisia. We, I mean, obviously the, the relationship, it was going, 
gone on for like three and a half months. The divorce was like, it's not the same process as it is here. It's very quick, especially when the marriage is that short over there. But like, I took the next, I would say, I would say my last three and a half months there to really just be like, I had no idea what I was going to do. What was I going to do? Like, where was I going to get like, if I, all I could really do is I was like, I had to truly ask myself, can you live the rest of your life here? Because now there's nothing I like, you're here for no one else other than yourself now. So can you live the rest of your life here? And I couldn't, I really, like, I was like, no, like, I, like I, I miss meant, my sushi. Yeah. I, I miss every, I miss street signs that I can read. I miss <laughs> like people that I can strike up a conversation with, you know, I miss like the complete freedom of not being judged by people constantly. Cause I live my own independent life. Like what I do, what I believe is no one else's business. Like that's, mm-hmm. That's an incredible thing that you don't, you know, I mean, if you look in a small town, a real small town, then maybe you kind of get it. But like, even then, it's not on the same level. So I remember getting on the plane and just, I was completely numb, just numb. And I was flying back. But the moment that the plane landed, I remember I kissed the ground. <laughs> like I literally, I, I got all my knee. I kissed the ground and I was so happy to be back stateside. Like I was so happy to be on American soil <laughs> and, um, like going, going through the line, like just going through the line at the airport and there was people in front of me. And this is, this still sticks in my mind, like a, like a picture, right? Like, um, I'm waiting in line and there's about like five people in front of me. And I, I kid you not, I still remember, like, it's like, it was like an older black gentleman. It was like a short white lady. Um, there was, there was a Hispanic dude and then an Asian guy, literally all of us standing in the Houston airport waiting to get, you know, to check back in. And they were just like, oh my God, what is taking, so? this is taking so long and they are so aggravated and annoyed and this and that. And I'm just sitting there like, (laughs) (laughs) party in the USA. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Like, and they're complaining. And then I was like, excuse me. I was like, look, I know you guys are frustrated and you're upset. (laughs) I was like, but I just got to tell you something. Honestly, I just came back from a place where People, like, I was like, look at this. Like, I point at the guy that's at the counter that's like checking people in. I was like, look at him. He's smiling. He's smiling <laughs> at people. I was like, I was like, he, he actually looks like he's happy to be here. I was like, in, in Tunisia, like, I, you walk in, they're literally smoking a cigarette, staring at you. And then when you walk in, you they will either say nothing, you know, <laughs> or they'll be like, what do you want? As like, I, you have to remind yourself, like, did I just walk into? Did I just walk into a store or did I walk into your house? Like, why are you talking to me like that? Yeah. And cust- policies, customer service, that, those, that doesn't exist over there. It's not, not a thing. thing. <laughs> and so it's, it was funny because I was like, look at him. He's, he's happy to talk to you. I was like, I know we're waiting. I know this is a long line. But honestly, it is so much worse somewhere else. And like, I, they obviously were coming off international flights too. And I think they had to take a second to go, oh, yeah. And the whole conversation of that line changed and everyone was just trying to, and then we started, you know, exchanging like where we went and all that stuff for a bit. And then finally it was my turn to kind of come up to the kiosk. And I remember uh, the, I still remember his face very vividly. Like the guy that, that checked me in as I'm walking up to the counter and uh, I hand him my passport and he looks at me and he opens it up and he was like, Oh, 
he was like, ah, oh, you're gone for like a little while. How was your trip? I was like, it was, it was a trip. And he was like, yeah, he was like, welcome home. And I was like, he said that I started bawling. I just oh, started wow. crying. I was just like, oh my God. And he was like, are you okay? I was like, I'm just happy to be home. Yeah. Like, thank you. Um, and so like that still resonates until now. Like, it's just, it's just something that I won't forget that feeling of being like, I'm so happy to be here. And I'm so happy for like, just this, you know? Um, and then, you know, I went back home and, um, the thing that kind of hit me was all of the decisions I made at that point. Like all the consequences of all my actions are still sitting there <laughs> really <laughs> just waiting like, for me. Knock, patiently. Knock. Yeah. We're still here. <laughs> um, so I had no way to go back to school because I didn't have the money to pay for it. I had, um, I had, you know, I didn't have any true job experience to where I could just be like, all right, let me just start a trajectory towards a career. Um, I, I had nothing I, and I didn't know what I wanted to do. And so like the only thing I could do was just get a job, you know, but I, I don't know. I was just in a dark place. So I was at home uh, most of the time. So I got to a point where like, you know, what your typical like sitcom like depression looks like where you're basically wearing the same pajamas every day. You can't remember the last time you showered. Like you're just, you're moving because you're obligated to have to go to the bathroom. You know, like that is me. Like, like I hit that point of like, I, what am I supposed to do? I'm only alive because I, I am living. And so um, I remember one morning sitting at the breakfast, like I was sitting at the, the, the table and I was eating like breakfast um, or playing with my cereal really. And my dad's sitting across the table from me and he's like, what are you going to do? And I was just like, I don't know, maybe I'll like walk to the library or something. And he was <laughs> like, no, no. I mean, like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, it's a really heavy question for breakfast, right? Like, <laughs> and so like, um, he was like, well, he was like, listen, I know that you've been through a lot. He was like, and I know he was like, honestly, what you went through, he was like, I am a grown man who's experienced a lot of things that I don't think I can handle what you went through. He was like, but he was like, you, you can't do this. Like, he was like, he was like, look at you. Like, he was like, when is the last time you, you, he was like, didn't you wear that shirt for like the last three days? Like, when have you showered? Like, when have you done anything? Like, you know? And I was just like, what am I supposed to do? Like, what, what, what do you suggest I do? Like, I was like, I, I, I have ruined my own life. Like, and I have no one to blame but myself. So what am I supposed to do? And so he goes, he was like, what do you want to do? Like, what is it that you want? I was like, I want to be an actor. He was like, okay, go be an actor. First of all, that's the first time my dad said that. He was like, go be an actor. And I was like, okay. I was like, well, it doesn't quite work like that, but I can't just go and be an actor. And he was like, okay, what does it take to be an actor? I was like, geez, um, money. I got to invest in headshots. I have to like, I'm going to eventually have to move out to LA. And that was something that was so massive to me. Right. Cause that was like the ultimate dream. Right. And I'm like, that's such a big deal. And so I was like, um, and then even then I move out, there's no guarantee I'll make it. I could, I could totally just like, you know, go broke, just trying to survive in LA because it's super expensive. And I was like, I, I mean, it, it requires a lot. And he was like, 
He was like, okay. He was like, so he was like, you're, you're here at your, you're at your parents' house. Like you have no expenses. He was like, just work, save up. And he was like, then go to LA and go be an actor. And I was like, okay. All right. First of all, I was like, what if I go to LA? What if I go to LA and I end up homeless? Like that I, like, what if I can't even handle like just living the living there? Like, and I was like, what if I don't get any work or what, you know? And he was just like, okay. He was like, well, first of all, and he was like, at the very least, if you end up, you know, tooth and tooth and nail, you know, like then basically we'll fly, you know, me and your mom will fly back out to Texas. You come back home and you're going to be in the same miserable state you're in now. He was like, then you go back to work, you save up and you fly out there again. He was like, that's, that's all you can do. And I was like, I was like, I was like, but what if it doesn't work? Like, what if I just fail? Like, what if I never get anywhere? He was like, he was like, hold on. He was like, listen, you, he was like, you picked up one day and said, I'm going to move to Africa. He was like, you sold all your shit. He's like, I watched you sell your socks. Okay. He was like, you sold everything. He was like, I never seen you work so hard to save up money in my life. He was like, you did all of that. And he was like, and everybody was like, you're crazy. He was like, that's my country. That is my, that is my home. He was like, I grew up there. He was like, those are my roots. I can't live in that country now. Like I I'm too far removed from what that is. He was like, but you were, you were fearless. He was like, you didn't even think twice about it. He's like, everyone told you you couldn't do it. And you were still like, nope, watch me. He was like, but you did all of that for somebody else. He was like, why can't you do that for yourself? Oh, I love it. And that hit me hard. Like, it was like, it was like catching Ooh, a frying pan to the head. Seriously, it, that's what it was for me. And that conversation, you know, like, and he told me, he was like, look, just keep looking up. Don't stop just keep looking up and keep going after what you want and that was what set it off for me and it made me go yeah like how is it that i'm so fearlessly ready to invest into someone else that i that i wasn't ready to do that for me like when it's just me and it makes me you know that topic alone is a whole nother topic but i think so many of us out there don't realize how much we don't love ourselves as much as we're capable of loving someone else. And so at that point I was like, okay, let's fucking do this. Let's that's, do it. That's some serious shit you're talking about right now. I, <laughs> I think there's a lot of people, I mean, and, and even myself included at times, but there's a lot of people that feel that same way. Right. And, and haven't had that talk where it's clicked yet. Right. Um, and, but anyway, and, I don't want to interrupt you, I mean, I, but I do want to ask you questions back to that later. Yeah, for sure. I mean, for, for that, like my, my dad, honestly, like that, that was one of the things that I'm like, one of those moments where it's like, it did resonate because it was coming from him. Right. Like this was coming from, you know, I, I grew up in a household where I care so much about what, what my parents, you know, say or feel or whatever. Like I, that's so heavy for me. And for him to say that made me feel invincible, right? So I was just like, okay, and it and, and it resonated. I was like, I, how is it that I can't invest into myself? So I did, and I started. I picked up a job and I started waitressing, and um, I was like, you know, I needed to find something that was going to allow me to go to auditions and stuff like that. So 
Um, I was doing that. I was trying to act and um, all this stuff. And the funny thing is, is um, I'm sending out casting calls. Then I see this casting call for a spokesperson. And the um, casting call turns, I thought it was like a one-off gig, like everything else would be, right? And so they're looking for an auto show presenter. Well, first of all, I grew up around nothing but cars. My dad has always had a shop that we grew up in. My brothers are gearheads. It's like, I always, I always tell people, I was like, I feel like Marissa Tomei, because I'm like, you know, my dad's a mechanic. My brother's a mechanic. My I knew I liked you for something. <laughs> it was like, <laughs> it's, it's where they're all gearheads. And so I'm like, you want, like, you want to suppose for it? Like, I'm like, this, this gig is good as mine. Like, there's no reason why I shouldn't be able to, to land this. So I go and audition. It turns out I'm auditioning for an agency, not a gig. Um, the agency is actually a staffing agency that kind of helps with like booking people for presenter work and stuff like that. I had no idea this industry existed, like none. And so I booked this, I start touring with them and I was touring with Scion at the time when it existed. That was my first gig. It was awesome. And it opened up the door to start working other events. Right. And so, um, I immediately was like, okay, I'm done waitressing now. <laughs> I am definitely doing this full time. Um, so I start, you know, taking that on and booking other uh, events and stuff like that. And um, I ended up booking some MC work. And so I also had booked a gig um, for a show called Mikasa, which was supposed to be on Roku at the time. It was like a streaming network. Um, and they had a show. Um, it was like a, a Latin-based network. And they had a show called Please I Stop It. <laughs> and um, so it was kind of like talk soup. So I started doing that. And I was like, wow, I loved it. Because it was just like, there was no script. It was just, just improvise and be yourself. And I was like, all right, cool. And I was like, this is great. I fell in love with it. Um, the day, like the work days would go by really fast. Mind you, wasn't getting paid for this stuff yet. Uh -huh. um, yeah, like it was a lot of work that you're like, you're just, most, most of the acting gigs and stuff like that, that you do at, when you're first starting, you're getting, you're paying to work because it costs you money to get there and all that stuff. Um, but so I started doing that and, um, I landed, uh, an MC gig for the Florida lottery in Dallas for the Texas state. Wow, Fair. That's cool. So I was working that job. And so at the time, I actually ended up booking a job uh, or so at the time there was a job that popped up and it was for the Houston Indy Grand Prix and they were looking for a host and the, it was paying really well, far better than anything I, I had ever made at that point in my twenties. Right. And so I was just like, it, it was something I was like, I'm ne like, I'm never going to land that. That was one of those things that I'm like, I'm going to throw my, my resume and, and all that. Like, I'm going to apply. I'm going to throw my, my hat in the ring, but I know I'm not going to land that. And so I left it at that. And then I went to uh, the state fair. Now the state fair gig was the, the, in the entire duration of the state fair. Now, anybody that's not from Texas, I think lasts a month and a half. Right. So like um, I'm out there and I'm, and I'm taking it on. And then suddenly while I'm out there, I get an email. And they're like, hey, um, we just wanted to know. Uh, oh, the other thing, so I should mention this. So in the job, in the job calling, it said that they were looking for a host for the for the Indy Grand Prix. They wanted someone that uh, was like obviously comfortable in front of cameras, large crowds, 
Um, and they wanted someone that had previous MC experience and then they wanted someone who was ear prompter proficient. I don't know if you know what an ear prompter is. I have no, I, I mean, I can assume, but I don't really right. know. Nobody really should know what that is. Like it, it is, it is the oddest thing to me. So basically like a teleprompter makes sense, right? So what yeah. an ear prompter is. Oh is, no, they tell you in the ear and you gotta. Yes, so oh, basically no. you record your script. You record your own script, right? Or you can have like, you have somebody else record it for you, but you record your own script, you play it in your ear, you say it as you hear it. First of all, the people who are skilled in this, kudos <laughs> to you. You should be getting paid that level of money because I don't understand how you do that. Holy like, moly. So they were like, you must be ear prompter proficient and must have your own ear prompter. So I submitted myself for this thing and forgot about it. Then I get this email <laughs> when I was in Dallas and they emailed me and they're like, hey. Oh, by the way. Uh, Hey, just checking in. Um, we we've selected you for the event. We just wanted to know, um, do, is you know, do you have your own ear prompter and is it like ready to go? And I was like, who the hell is this? And what are they talking about? Yeah. And so like, I I go through the email. I'm like sifting through, sifting through, and then I realized I was like, I was like, what is this for? They were like, this is for the Indie Grand Prix you submitted for. And I was like, my heart, like you know when you get like instant knots in your stomach. And I was like, no, no, I booked this. And then like, I was like, <laughs> I was like, uh, you are looking for Hattie, right? And they were like, yeah, we, they were like, we saw your reel. We loved it. And, um, they were like, the client really likes you. Um, so we just want to make sure like, can, do you, do you have your ear prompter and are you ready to go? And I was like, yes. And they were like, okay, cool. So we'll, you know, um, I was like, so um, and they were like, we'll send you this and we'll send you a, we'll send you the script. So you can also see that. And, um, they were like, and then, uh, you know, just make sure you report out to this place and that place. I was like, all right, cool. Left it at that. I immediately, as soon as I got off the phone, I had to Google. I was like, what is an ear prompter? <laughs> <laughs> How do you ear prompt? Um, right. and so, uh, I started looking it up and I was just like, holy crap. I was like, I, I, I read the description over and over again. I was like, this can't be right. I was like, so you, you say it as you hear it. I was like, how do you even do that? <laughs> and so like, and then I was like looking for ear prompters. Most ear prompters were, I mean, you can find a decent priced one, not too bad, but like, I didn't even know what I was supposed to be looking for. So I'm like looking at Best Buy. I was going to go buy one. I was like, oh my God. So immediately I was like, you know what? I think I can, I, I was like, I can, I can make this work. I can figure it out. Um, I was like, I had, at that time I had like at least four or five days under to, to get ready. Right. Or five days. Like, so I was like, I'm, I'm good. I've done far more. And so this is when they say fake it till you make it, right? Yeah. yeah. This is one of those examples. Um, so I go on the internet and I was just like, there has to be somebody that knows how to do this because it's it exists, right? So I literally start looking up ear prompter coaches. I kid you not, I find one and I can't remember if it was Idaho or South Dakota. It was the most random state. But this man's website was this forest green color with like bright white font. like, And it was like, it reminded me kind of like two steps above like a MySpace landing page. But this guy knew his <laughs> stuff. Like... He was the ear prompter master, all right? So I found this little sensei ear prompter like tucked away in South Dakota somewhere. And I was, I hit him up and I was like, 
I send him an email, like I, I actually, um, I can't remember if I called him or left a voicemail, but I reached out to him, I remember, and I uh, told him, I was like, listen, hey, uh, my name is Hattie. I'm in Texas. I'm not actually located out there. I booked this event that you need to be ear prompt or proficient for. I was like, I really want to learn, um, you know, just basic skills to get me by. I'd really appreciate it. And, and, and whatever it costs, I'll pay it. Like, let's do this. Left it at that. So he messages me back and he like, he talk, or he calls me up and he's just like, Hey, so I got your message. This and then he was like, uh, when is your event? I was like, Oh yeah. So I was like, um, it's, it's at the end of the week. And he was like, you're, you want to be ear prompt or proficient by the end of the week? I was like, yeah. Like, I mean, I, I don't expect to be as good as you, obviously. Like I was like, but you know, enough to just get me through the event. He was like, he was like, um, he was like, you know, I'm ear prompt or proficient. Um, and it, it's, it's truly like a thing to say proficient, you know, to say that you can, can you say that word? He was like, but, um, he was like, do you know how long I've been doing it for? I was like, no, he was like about 15 years. He was like, do you know when I could, when I was able to say I was proficient? And I, I was like, no, he was like probably about year 13. I was like, Jesus. <laughs> he was like, so you wanting to learn how to be ear prompt or proficient by the end of the week. He was like, I don't know if that's really going to work out for you. I was like, oh my God. I was like, listen. So I tell him what happened. I tell him the whole spiel. I was like, look, I applied for this gig. I didn't expect to get it. I got the email. I got to be ear prompt or proficient, dude. And so he kind of, because at first I feel like he was insulted. Like, who is this girl from Texas that thinks she's going to learn my, like, she's treating it like, oh, can, you know, it's like somebody telling me like, hey, can you teach me how to be a host by the end of the week? You know what I mean? It's almost offensive. Like, no, there's work, there's skill, there's stuff you got to develop. You're not going to just, you're not just going to do what I do in a week. And so, um, he was like, so I tell him what happened and he was like, and he literally goes, you know what? You got some moxie. And he was like, he was like, look, I typically don't do this. He was like, but let's set up a time. He was like, we'll, we'll go 30 minutes or whatever. I'll try to explain the concept for you, whatever. He's like, he didn't charge me nothing. Like just out of the kindness out of his heart. Um, and to be honest now, I wish I knew his name because he deserves a, like a, a shout out. Like if anybody needs ear prompter training, go to this guy. Um, so he talks to me, walks me through it and we start practicing. And he literally starts with like the pledge of allegiance, like something I already know, at least I thought I did until he started talking. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't, I can't, it, it he was like, it, it's a skill. You have to build it, you know? And so it was, it was just one of those things where I was like, okay, I'm just going to do this. And I'm going to try. He was like, and he was like, make a makeshift ear prompter out of your phone. He told me how all this stuff He's like, don't spend any money on it. Is it like you put the phone on your head and you like wrap well, a rubber band around it? <laughs> well, basically what you do is you record your script into your phone. There's actually an app. There's apps that you can use to do it, or you can do it in your nose, however you, however you want. But basically you, you record it, you record the script you have in your phone, you have your, your, um, earpiece in so that way you can kind of press play and pause whenever you need to um but ear prompters help because you it's like quick access like if you need to scroll back a couple of lines or something like that you can skip ahead if you need anything like you have more control kind of but you can still make a makeshift one out of your phone so anyway I was like cool so I'm waiting for the script and waiting for the script and at that point I was like okay so as I start practicing it immediately hits me I am not going to get this ear prompter thing down it's just not going to happen for me so I was like, you know what? What am I doing? I'm an actor. I am an actor. Like I, I should be able to memorize this script. 
Like it does, like I'm so silly. Like, why didn't I think of that before? I'll just memorize the script. Was it so like 10,000 pages I'm, or something? Yeah, so like I'm waiting for them to send me the script. The script is 24 pages front and back of the most dense, convoluted, like, you know, they're talking about like, you're at an Indy Grand Prix. So just imagine that, A, the IndyCar jargon that you need to learn on top of stats that mean nothing to me as someone that's not a part of that world. So learning a dialogue is far different because it's a natural speech and then you're attaching emotion to it. So you can always remember, at least this is what I got to be feeling during this time. This is none of that. So I was like, crap. So I look at it and I'm like, oh my God, they didn't send me the script until the day before the event. Oh no. So here I am the day before the event and I'm literally on my apartment floor, passed out, face stuck to one of the pages still, like me falling, like I, I was like, I'm not gonna sleep. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna pull an all-nighter. I'm gonna learn this if it kills me. Um, and then I'm up until like, I think it was like three or four in the morning. And I just eventually, I literally passed out in my living room floor with my face, like drooling on the freaking script. And I wake up and I'm like, crap, it's six. I'm up. I'm like, crap, I got to get ready. So I, I leave. And between the lack of sleep, (laughs) then anything I even did retain was not retained. So I show up and I'm, I'm, I'm walking in, honestly, prepared to get fired. Like I'm mentally preparing myself for, I'm about to be fired before I, I work this event. I lost the other event that I was already, I was just fine at the state fair. Why did I do this to myself? <laughs> and then, <laughs> and so I lost out on that money and I was like, now I'm here. And I was like, and I'm about to lose this too. So I'm walking in and the coordinator comes in, she's got her headset on and she's like, hi, you must be Hattie. I was like, yeah. She's like, you know, she's got clipboard and she's like walking around ready to kind of get everything and she just walks off I guess and I just start following her because I'm assuming that's what she wants me to do and she's talking and she's like okay so um today's just a media day it's going to be a really light day so we're not going to expect anything too much from you she was like so this is the room this is where you're going to snack this is your break room and I was like okay 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 and then we get to this room and then suddenly she's like all right so um do you have your ear prompter and I was just like yeah about that um I didn't bring it. And then she, so like, I was about to tell her, I was like, cause I don't have one. And she was like, well, she was like, that's fine. Today's a media day. So, um, she was like, we can, uh, she was like, we can see about maybe, um, I forgot what she said. Um, and then I was like, by the way, I have a question. And she was like, yeah, I was like, I know that the script is like written out this way. I was like, do you want us to stick to the script exactly um and then she was like I mean it just makes it easier um so she was like since it's a media day we're not going to have you present too much because there's not really a crowd yet um she was like it's just going to be like the time where the media wants to come in and ask questions and stuff and she was like you can use that time to practice basically and I was like cool so then I was like listen I read through the script and I was like we're going to be talking to like IndyCar fans, right? When the event opens up officially, she was like, yeah, I was like, so I was like, I was just thinking like, I, I see that you guys have like certain points you've made. I was like, can I just use those as a bullet points and just like fill in the rest with my natural, like, she was like, do you feel comfortable doing that? And I was like, like <laughs> in my head, I was like, yes. And I was like, I was like, yeah, I'm, yes, I'm far more comfortable with that than, than, than a script. And I was like, plus I didn't bring my ear prompter today, but like, I mean, I could, and I was like, but you know, and then she was like, 
well, look, um, she was like, it's a media day. Tell you what she was like, uh, why don't you, why don't you tr like try that out today? Like try out your, you know, your, your non-scripted, your non-scripted method. She was like, if we like it and if you feel comfortable, she'll like, we'll go with it. If not, then bring your teleprompter tomorrow and we'll go back to the way we're going to do things. And I was like, okay. And I did it and she loved it. And I was just like, oh, thank God. And there suddenly I just went like, I, my confidence skyrocketed. I just became the king of the world. Like it was at that point, I was like, I got this. So like, I'm out there like, you know, um, they had like a whole script that I had to present with the, there's fuel scientists there, which I thought was really cool. Um, and I was just like, that script's boring. We're going to play a game. And so like, I did like a little mini, like, do you know more than a, than, than a fuel scientist kind of game? Like it was just trivia and, and like all kinds of things, um, that I just, I really started to interact with the crowd and it was amazing. I fell in love with it. Like I, I had to, first of all, I was running on two hours of sleep, <laughs> but, um, <laughs> Even throughout the rest of the week, I was working 12 hour days. I was not ready to go home by the end of the day. Like I was like, they were like, oh my God. I was like, we're closing already? They were like, are you serious? Like the rest of them are dead. Everyone's ready to go home. Even the, the, the race car drivers are ready to go home. And um, I'm not like, I'm, you know, I'm full of energy pumped up. Uh, so during that time, I had the opportunity to interview the race car drivers. So I interviewed Will Power and Elio Castroneves, who at the time, I didn't know him from the Indy Grand Prix. I knew him from Dancing with the Stars, which a lot of other people knew him from too. So one of the other things that I did uh, during that time was uh, they had like a set of questions they wanted us to ask everyone. And I was like, man, this is probably the only time I'm going to be able to have this guy in front of me, in front of a crowd to actually be able, like, I know there's enough, enough women here. Like, I know that this is a men's event predominantly, but I was like, there's enough women here for this to matter. And so um, I remember I basically, like, I asked him to salsa with me and, like, I, I asked him, like, I asked him a lot of questions that were not necessarily on, on the card. Um, and we had, like, a great time. It was such a it felt so natural and fluid. And I felt like I, I really like bonded with him. So anywho, I knew who he was. I knew who Will Power was obviously. Cause he'd like, you know, when you're at the race, you're hearing all this stuff. Like, and so it was all, it was all fun and, and everything. And then they, they were like, all right, now we're going to interview uh, Roger Pinsky. I don't know if you know who Roger Pinsky is. I had no idea. All right. And Roger Pinsky is essentially the Steve Jobs of the IndyCar world. Okay. That's like being at an Apple event and somebody's like, all right, now we're going to interview Steve jobs. And you're like, who like, yeah. <laughs> is that? um, but like, I didn't know that, you know, everybody was like, Oh, we're going to inter interview Roger Pinsky. The thing is everybody we were interviewing, interviewing, they were acting like as if this is the most important person in the world. So to me, it was like another guest. Okay. I figured, you know, maybe he's somebody that's a part of the race car teams or something. You know, I know he, I know he's on the shell team or something. I thought he was like a coach. I don't know. And so, um, you know, he's coming up and this and that. And, and they were talking about like his hit, like they gave me like a note card of questions and stuff that I was supposed to ask him. And I was really fascinated at like, cause like there was a mini bi biography of like something I read or, uh, about something he had done. And so um, that intrigued me, right? Cause I was just like, like, who is this older gentleman? Um, and so when we got on stage, we started the interview. I had questions that I was like, you know I don't know if I want to ask just these set of questions. Um, and so we got up there and I didn't really know him. So I kind of stuck to the questions initially. 
And so um, we started talking and then eventually as he starts going into a story, I'm naturally intrigued. Right. And so like, so then I start asking him other questions and other questions and um, you know, and then I brought it back and we ended it and that was that. And I was like, man, this dude's really awesome. Like he's really cool and still don't know who he is. Like it still didn't like click to me who he is in the realm of like this sport. And so um, at the end of it, we're like posing for pictures in front of the camera and stuff like that. And he basically is like, um, so he, he like leans over and he's like, oh, so he's like, so do you do this full time? And I was like, oh no. I was like, this is just, this is just a gig for me. <laughs> like, you know, cause like, I mean, it was, I was going to be there like when the, when the pre was, when the grand prix was over. So I was going to be done. So he's like, oh, he was like, uh, he was like, do you do this outside of this? And I was like, no, he's like, well, he's like, you're really good. This is the best interview I've had all day. He was like, you should, you should consider that. And that was that he left. He went on his merry way. I'm sure he doesn't even remember me. Right. And so like that made me like that kind of solidified the whole event for me. And I was like, and, it, and that's when I had one of those aha moments, like the way I did in front of my alarm, it was another aha moment where I was like, holy shit. I love this. I want to do this forever. Like, this is amazing. And, um, to be able to like, talk like hear people's stories and 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 talk to people and interact and make people laugh and like share in like real authentic moments with people on a non-stop basis is amazing which is why this quarantine crap is killing me softly so um let me let me ask you real quick do you think it's better knowing how popular and famous somebody is or is it better to just not know who they are and just go into it like it's just another person <laughs> That from the interviewer's perspective from the interviewer's perspective i would say that depends on on you right mm -hmm. so like somebody might take the mentality or the mindset of thinking i know i'm talking to the president of the united states this is the level of the game that like this is the level i need to bring right and then sometimes when you're talking to someone that is very important but in a way that's like maybe intimidating to you does that make sense mm -hmm. um because everyone understands what the president of the united states is even if you know nothing about government you understand his role and what he is and he applies the same to everyone right but like if you are interviewing like for me for instance i'm interviewing you know the godfather of the Grand prix I, don't, I know nothing about his world. I know nothing about him, but I know he is essentially the equivalent of the president of the United States with, within his world, right? Mm -hmm. So like that is where the intimidation factor comes in. And for me, it helped me to not see him as a, as a person, like as, a, as, a, as just a person and not this huge entity, right? Like it made me more confident to just think, oh, I just thought he was like this nice old man that was really good at the Indy Grand Prix, you know? Um, primarily also because I was in a state of feeling like I, I was not 100% confident. So like the last thing I needed to do was add another factor to make me more into, like, I, I didn't need to intimidate myself. Sure. Like, and that's one of those things, like when I say depends on you, you have to know where that, where that line lies for you. And don't ever position, if you can position yourself to take things off of your mental and emotional plate before you're about to go do something, do that. <laughs> Cause I think we all have a bad habit of like doing the opposite and adding things on when we don't need it. You know, like when you're already nervous, 
avoid anything else that you know when like you're up on a rope and they're like don't look down really do not look look down down. (laughs) do that you know and that was what that's essentially what accidentally happened because had i knew or had someone told me i would have went down the rabbit hole and i would have overthought that interview to death and i probably would have spent more time stuttering than anything else so um it just happened to work out that way my ignorance in that moment worked in my favor Sure. Um, otherwise, no, know exactly who you're talking to at all time <laughs> and what they do. Um, and so that, uh, that moment was when I was like, I want to do this forever. Right. And I, I decided like, this is what I want to do. Um, and from that point on, everything I did was really a matter of making that happen. And so I ended up, um, saving up, um, and getting some help from people that like really support me, like showed me love at the time. Um, and they helped me like kind of make my way back into school. And that's what I did. And I was right back at U of H and I swapped my, my, uh, major and minor. Right. So I was a philosophy major and a communications minor. Well, I became a broadcast communications major and a philosophy minor. And, um, I, took on a lot of, a lot of, my goal was I was like, I got to get in and out. I do not have time to stay and play. Like I got to go college days and all that is behind me. I'm past like trying to experience life and find out who I am now. And so, um, real, real quick, do you think that U of H education in that field has helped you get to where you are today? I definitely think that the internship that I acquired from there helped 100%. Um, uh, that's something that I've actually always wanted to do too. It was like, I've always, after going through the program, I will say that like, there's a lot within the in, in industry, like our, like ours is, which is, it's extremely fluid. And, um, when you're talking about media, like media is literally telling you what is going on in the world in real time. That is the purpose of media. It's for us to connect in real time, to del- exchange information in real time. So, if that is what your industry is all about, then it obviously is something that has to evolve faster than how we are like, right. So, um, that is unfortunately the one thing I would say, I wish existed a little more. I wish there was far more, um, industry relevant, courses available or not even courses, I would say just the advice, the counseling of really telling you like, you know, and I guess that's where a career coach would come in and you got career services, but having someone that's in the industry tell you how to go about it and navigate it. Um, and I mean, there were some really great professors that I'll never forget um, at U of H that literally like till this day, I still use what they've taught me, you know, um, from their personal accounts and from like, obviously their course themselves. Um, and that's just something that like, I, I'll, I'll always be grateful for U of H for that. I, 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 I'm a firm believer in that everything can be better. So um, if I, if it was possible, I would love to like be back there and like teach a course like in at U of H. I think that would be amazing. Or even if I had like a, an advisory thing to specifically broadcast journalism uh, students, you know, like I would love to do that. That would be so cool. Um, because there wasn't really that available, you know? And I realized that looking around because going into class, I was the oldest person in class. I was 30 years old. Hey, that makes two of us. <laughs> well, at the time I was, I was going on 30, but yeah, basically I was, I was the oldest person in, in the class, right? So 
um, all these other people are, I look at them and I'm like, man, I remember being in that part of my life, like early twenties, you know, it's true college life. And, um, I remember thinking to myself, okay, it's, I know all this information because I've went through the acting world. I understand like the concepts of demo reels. I understand the concept of like casting auditions, like, you know, and granted the broadcast, like the broadcast news world was something I, I understood, you know, okay. But it was because of my own, you know, due diligence of of trying to learn that the industry, but for someone that's just in college, that's never done acting, that's never, like you are relying purely on just what you get out of those courses, it won't be enough. It won't be enough. Like, I, I mean, it will be enough to get you go. I don't want to say like, it's not enough to do. I'm just saying like, there is so much more to make it so much easier than what it is, you know, or, or at least allow people to really grasp like what, what resources are out there or how they should go about things. Um, cause you know, like I, I remember like helping someone put their resume together and I find that far more important than honestly, the mass communications course. Like I, I know that like understanding that is important, but in the realms of the industry, I, I don't recall at any point, somebody asking me to, to describe like, you know, how, our telewaves are brought to their television. Like no one ever asked me that to like, that doesn't come up. Um, the, the, the Guten press, I don't, we don't talk about that. Is that a, like, I've never even heard of that. The Guten press. Just, the Gutenberg press like that. So like just how newspapers came, like no one talks oh, about newspaper. Yeah. yeah. Like no one talks about the history of like, uh, media or anything like, so I feel like a course designed to teach you how to, you know, submit your resume to news stations. Um, stuff like that would be more beneficial. Um, but nonetheless, I basically, um, I got an internship and, and this was, this was where, this at, where was this at? So my internship was at KPRC at channel two okay. yep. in Houston. And the funny thing is this, I, so I, uh, when I went to UTA and Arlington, um, I crossed and I became a Delta Delta Sigma Theta sorority. And so, um, one of my sorority sisters who I hadn't talked to in years, right? In years. I remember I wanted an, in, I wanted to get an internship so bad and I didn't want to wait. I couldn't wait for the fall. Like if I missed this opportunity, I would have to wait until the, the, the following um, semester. And I, that was going to be my last semester. And if it's your last semester, you can't do it. And I was mm-hmm. like, I can't have that happen. And so, um, or within the last year. So I was like, I can't have that happen. So, um, I basically was like, I have to get this internship. It was already like the deadline was within a week. I didn't realize that, that there was like a deadline to submit and all this stuff. And so I walk into career services and I, and I talked to her and the way that like, in order for me to graduate by the time that I wanted to, I would have to have the internship done by then. Like there was no choice. And so I remember talking to her and I was like, how can I get this internship? Like, I was like, I really want to land this. And she was like, well, first of all, she was like, I'm going to, she was like, I'm going to be honest with you. She was like, people have submit for internships. They're doing this well in December. She was like, there's a week and a half left. She was like, so I don't want you to like, she was like, she's basically talking me out for like, do not get disappointed because what's happened. Like understand that what's happening here is a long shot. 
Okay. She was like, but get your, get your essays written. She kind of like coaches me to kind of helps me write out like the things that I need to submit and all this stuff. And I was like, okay. And I leave it at that. I walk out of there and there's a part of me that's just like, God, this just has like, this has to work out. Like one of these stations, cause I was submitting to all of them. I was like, one of these stations has to pick me up. And I walk out and I get a text message from my sorority sister who I had not talked to in years. And she was like, Hey girl. She was like, so I've been posting things on my Facebook at that time, like sporadically and randomly about like, you know, trying to get into media and things that I was doing in media and stuff like that. Um, and she goes, Hey, uh, I just wanted to see, she was like, I see you're out there doing TV stuff and stuff like that. She was like, I know you're in Houston too. She was like, my dad's out there and, um, he's at KPRC and he's the internship coordinator for the station (laughs) as an atheist. I had to look up and be like, are you there? (laughs) Like, is that because it was unreal. It was unreal that that happened. Like I told, like that text message is something that I'm like, I'm going to screen, like I need to screenshot this. This doesn't seem real. Can I, can I tell you something that just happened to me last Friday? Yeah. So you just described to me like one of those moments in life where you're like, I can't believe that just happened because this is going to change the, the, the direction of my future. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. So we're, I mean, we're, we're a small roofing company. We do about a half million dollars last year. And, uh, we have a couple salespeople working for us and I, I do a lot of commercial work, but not a lot of residential. So, um, I struggle with trying to get the residential side growing, right? We should be doing millions and millions of dollars. And, um, so some of my salespeople were getting frustrated because it's been slow and COVID and the ice storm and blah, blah, blah. It's winter time. Um, meanwhile, the commercial side is doing okay enough to keep the business going. Yeah. Well, I don't, I've never been in residential roofing before. Right. So I don't know what I'm doing. I really don't. It's kind of like with any business owner, you just scramble and try to figure it out as you go. So um, there's this guy I was listening to a podcast and a roofing podcast, and he's based out of Dallas. And he was talking about how um, I don't know. He was talking to something about his company, about how he was growing. And and I reached out to him on Facebook, like, hey, man, I just want to let you know, I appreciate what you're doing. Thanks for sharing. Uh, And he's like, yeah, yeah. Tell me more about what you do and tell me about your company, blah, blah, blah. And I did. And he was like, well, why don't you come down and uh, why don't you come down and chat, you know, with the, me and the executive team? And I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Like, here's a, here's my first opportunity after two years to go talk to somebody who's done it. Right. And who's successful. Right. Yeah. So I was super pumped. So then the next week, the ice storm happened. Right. So we don't go that week. The next week, uh, he's like trying they're trying to recover from the ice storm. So that didn't work. Gotcha. And then the third week, it was a Sunday. This was last Sunday, 3 p.m. I'm like going crazy at work, trying to like figure out how I'm going to get leads and what, what do I need to do to be a better leader? Blah, 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 blah. And I get this text or I actually get a phone call and it's him. And he's like, Hey man, what's going on? And I'm like, uh, just trying to figure out how to run my business. He's like, Yeah. He's like, uh, he's like, so, you know, I don't normally do this and this, I know this is very last minute, but he goes, are you interested in coming down to my annual training? Uh, that we hold um, for for my whole company. Now he's a thirty one million dollar company with wow. seven locations in three states. Wow! And he just invited a competitor, right, to to go sit through his week long training. And I was literally just talking to my wife right after. I was like, I don't know what I'm going to do. Like I'm yeah. trying everything. Yeah. 
Um, and then I get this call. It was like magic. And then if you think about it, like the ice storm screwed it up. Right. And all these other things screwed it up. And it just, that was one of those moments where I was like, holy shit. Like, it's crazy how things happen right when you know oh, them the right. most. Because, like that ice storm la- lasted just long enough. The recovery of it lasted just long enough. Like the timing of it is so impeccable that it makes you question, like, am I truly calling this out? Like, am I calling this out? And I, that's why I really believe in manifestation. I really believe in a lot. I, do of I, I really, really do. You, you call on what you want. If you are moving towards it with passion, like if you are moving towards it with all of your being, it just, you start, you start pulling it out of the ground. You know what I mean? Like, because for that text message, I had not the last, literally you could look at the text message history between her and I, and the last text message sent was like in 2007, (laughs) right? Like it was a text, like coming off of some kind of like, we just came from a party or we just saw, like, it was literally that was the last time I talked to her. And the fact that she still had my number, mm-hmm. like it was just the timing of it was wild. And the fact that I had just walked out of career services and I was just like, Jesus, please, like they've got to get this thing. And then I get a text message. Like I'm like, yeah. come on. And so I was like, yes, 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 yes. Like I'm, I'm like, my hands are shaking, texting her back. Like, please, like I, I'm so in like, and so he ends up calling me and, uh, it's Canberra Marshall. He's the weatherman out in, uh, well, like now he's a host, but he's a meteorologist. Um, this guy is absolutely amazing. His, even his aura, like he has such just everything about him is so like, if sunshine were a person, that's him. Like, <laughs> I love you know that. what I mean? Wow. Like, <laughs> He is just always positive and, and he just has that energy about him to shift the energy of the room. Um, and he basically was, um, you know, he kind of took me under, under his wing. He looked at my demo reel, which I, I was splicing stuff together. And he was like, you know, he was like, he was like, you, you got something. He was like, you got something. He was like, and he was like, you know, you're a natural. He was like, and he was like, I, you're, he basically is telling me like, you just need to be groomed. He was like, but all of the key components you already have. Um, and he was like, most people come in far more green than this. Um, he was like, you're ahead of the curve. And then when he found out that I was 30, he was like, and you've got, you got life experience kind of backing you at this point. He was like, there's no reason why, you know, it can't happen for you. So I was like, cool. Like it was so great to hear this. Um, and so at that point, you know, um, I was, I gotta say though, during this time, I was trying really hard to get my foot in the door, like at a station doing something. Um, there was a guy uh, at channel 39 in Houston. Uh, his name was Steve and they were hiring a part-time assignment editor. And I wasn't even a hundred percent sure on what an assignment editor was at the time. It was something that I learned in class. Um, and I looked it up online. And I had like a general gist of what they do, but I didn't care. I needed to get my foot in the door. Like I needed to be working in a building that put out television. Like I needed that. And so, um, I remember I applied for the job. I like, I, you know, tried to set my resume in a way to where, you know, it was presentable to where like they, I had a hard time selling the experience I acquired because what I had was technically Hollywood experience. Like I had acting gigs and hosting gigs and stuff like that, but I never worked in a, in a market. I didn't work in it like a a DMA. You know what I mean? I didn't, I never, 
worked at a television station or anything. I wasn't an official on-air personality anywhere. So I didn't have anything like that on my resume, but I tried to structure it in a way that I could try to sell myself as that on-air personality or like someone that's experienced with producing and film. And um, so anyway, I sent him my resume. um, And once I realized what an assignment editor was, I tailored my resume to sound like I could be an assignment editor, which actually had nothing to do with on-air, you know, TV. It was more about finding a story. I was like, if anybody can find a story, it's me. So I was like, I will find a story. I'll find every story. Hire me. (laughs) And so um, I remember I I applied for the job. He calls me in. And then when he real like he when I walked in and he realized this is a college student and she's never worked in news before. But I got him to call me in for an interview. And when he realized all that, he was just like, you know, I was talking to him. I was like, listen, I, he was like, we, he was like, he was like, look, I wanted to bring you in. I wanted to talk to you because he was like, you, you, something I've heard a lot in my life is you got moxie. Like that has came up a lot. Um, And he was just like, you know, he was like, I love that you are trying this hard for it. He's like, but I'm gonna be honest with you. He's like a Simon editor position. And he was so, this is so true. You know, it was hard for me to hear it then, but to be an assignment editor, if they're looking for someone that's like, hey, we're short staffed, we need somebody to, that knows what they're doing to come in and do it. That is completely reasonable. Um, and so I, at the time I was telling him, I was like, look, I am a fast learner. I was like, I'll learn outside of the job. Okay. I was like, I will figure it out and not work here. I'm like, listen, you need me. Like, you gotta <laughs> let, you gotta let me do this. And I was like, and I was like, the other thing is, I was like, look, I am cheaper than anyone else you would, you would hire in right now. Right. I was like, cause I, you, you can literally offer me, to, you can offer to pay me anything. And I would take this job. I was like, and I don't come equipped with bad habits, sir. I was like, those assignment <laughs> editors that you're hiring, they've already acquired their bad, lazy habits somewhere else. I was like, you are going to build me from the ground up and you will design the assignment editor you want. And he was just so like, I feel like I abused him. Like he was just really like, he loved the, the whole, like there was not a bad argument, you know? And he just knew that he couldn't do it. And he was just like, look, I'm going to keep you. He was like, listen, he was like, you definitely have an it factor. He was like, you got a spirit about you. And he was like, and he was like, you are very persistent. Um, because I, I tracked his email down also. Um, and so he was like, you are going to make it in this industry. Just give it some time, you know? Mm-hmm. And he was like, but I can't give you this position, but just know like if anything comes up or anything, I, I got you in mind. I was like, oh, okay. So that's all I kept hearing. You have so much potential. You got it. You're right there, but nobody wants to give me my first shot. And I'm just like, God, are you kidding me right now? So I was like, all right. I, um, I also tried to land a host role on Houston life. The reason I tried to do that, like I, so the reason, the reason I ended up taking the internship, Houston Life is a lifestyle show in Houston that I wanted to be a part of at Channel this, 2. This company was actually on that show. Yes, they were. It's I was crazy. an owner in it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. So like that show, before it came out, before it was a thing, one of my friends, because I met in the film industry, she's a fellow actor, started doing some scouting for a production company and she hits me up because she knows I'm like into hosting now. And she's like, hey. So completely on the hush-hush, please don't tell anybody. She was like, but we just did some scouting for um, Channel 2 and they're bringing a lifestyle show to Houston. And 
I was like, are you serious? She was like, yeah. And I hear that they're going to have like hosts and stuff. I was like, are you serious? She was like, yeah, you should like try to figure out like who you need to talk to. I was like, done. Like crack my knuckles, hit my LinkedIn stalking, track down the creative services director. Like I, I found people that worked at channel two and just figured out who the person would be that would be over that. And till this day, my Guerrero is the best guy. Like we became really great friends. I reached out to him on LinkedIn. I was like, look, you know, you don't know me. I found out that he's, I found out that there's like a, like this lifestyle show coming to channel two. I know you guys are going to need some hosts. I would love to audition. And he was just like, how the hell do you know that? Like, nobody, like, who are you? No one should know that. Like people at the station don't know this lifestyle show is coming to the station. And so I was like, ah, I got, I have my sources. <laughs> like, um, but I, I, I found out and I was like, I really want to um, audition. And he was like, all right, well, we don't even have an EP yet. Like we don't have anything. We have an idea. What's an EP? An, an executive producer. Okay. So he was like, we don't have somebody, like the show itself is not even structured. It doesn't exist yet. It's a concept. Not even a show right yet. Now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, kind of like so babies like, before they're babies. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so he goes, let's, let's talk when it's together. I was like, all right. So he ends up getting an EP and I end up sending, like, I'm waiting, I'm constantly waiting. And then I'm always checking in with him. And then finally they're like, yeah. So he tells me who he is. I send my stuff over. He reaches out to me and he's like, yeah, I love your real think you're funny. Um, he was like, I really like your, your personality. I think you'd be great for the show, uh, or a great addition possibly. Um, he was like, let's talk. He's like, we're looking for a few different roles, this, that, and the other. And I was like, all right, cool. So I'm getting excited because there's a chance that I might just, I might not even, I could just do this, you know, like, and so I, that would be great. And so I end up getting a call from him, um, because I end up applying for the internship also, right. My application goes through then he sees that I have this internship application. Oh, no. Who, the same girl who is saying she wants to be the entire host of the <laughs> show. Was applying to be the intern. <laughs> it was also applying to be the intern, right? Oh, and so um, that completely shifted his mindset. And suddenly he looked at me the same way Steve looked at me, which is here's this person that's got all of the right ingredients that still is raw. Like she is not ready for this yet. And hearing that over and over and over again is the most defeating thing that can happen. Like when someone keeps telling you, you got like, you're everything I'm looking for, but not, not, you know what I mean? Like, and so it's just like, they're like, it's like hearing, wow. it's like something like, it's like dating someone and they're like, you're going to be, you're so amazing for someone else. You know what I mean? Like, um, it's just heartbreaking to hear that over and over again. And, um, I, so when he finds that out, he's like, look, he was like, definitely can't be the host. He was like, I do have a possible producer role. You might, you know, we'll see this, that, and the other. He was like, but he was like, I think honestly, it was like, if you're going to do an internship, you can do an internship with our show. And I was just like, I didn't want to do that because Cambrell had already put in a lot of like, he was like, you know, I think you can do either one. Um, but I wanted to do um, the news internship primarily because there was actually a possibility of a job. You know what I mean? Like there was far more opportunity for me to possibly turn that into a job. So um, that's what I did. Whereas, you know, Houston life didn't seem so probable. So I, I, I hopped on, took the internship and I started at channel two. 
Um, and I don't know if you remember this. There was a plane crash on I-45. Off of I-45. It wasn't on the highway. It was right off the highway in front of an Ace Hardware store. It was a small Cessna plane that crashed. I'll it never forget. It landed or it crashed? It crashed in front oh, of this. Oh, it was fast on the plane. It was a tragic story. And oh, I literally thought it was the most final destination type crap I ever heard because I had I had written like my assignment in my my first like broadcast class was about a plane crash that happened. And oh, and I was like, how weird is that? And I was like, did someone say a plane crashed off of 45? I was like, is that for real? And so um, at the time I was interning and I was on the assignment desk. And so I was helping the, the managing assignment editor. And so it's instant chaos in the newsroom, right? You have a plane crash off 45? <laughs> Shut every, we don't care about any other story at this point. Shut everything else down. And like, I mean, you have producers running, the managers running, everybody's like running and gunning, trying to get somewhere, sending out like reporters and stuff. And everyone's trying to be the first person to get this, like get some kind of, you know, eyewitness news or something. And finally, they, um, I, I kind of look up some local businesses um, around the crash and we got somebody that actually seen it. We get them on the phone, we get the interview and that ends up kind of helping me, you know, like people are like, oh, like that was our intern Hattie, this and that. And slowly but surely I ended up like making a name for myself on the assignment desk. And then the opening came up. I ended up getting that job. And from there, I ended up getting a digital producer role at Channel 13 because I could not stand being on the assignment desk. It sucked. Um, and after that, um, I got laid off six months into it. Oh, no. Yep. And luckily, though, I had graduated um, and I was ready for an on-camera role anyway. And I ended up getting a part-time position in San Antonio um, as a lifestyle correspondent. But I did not want to relocate there because it was a part-time position. So I drove from Houston to San Antonio every week um, and basically <laughs> did that for nine months um, until the job in Jacksonville came up in Florida. And I finally was able to get an on-air, a full-time on-air hosting role on a lifestyle show. And that was in Jacksonville, Florida. Um, that was by far the most, that Jacksonville and Tunisia share equal weight in my life as far as the most growth, like the most personal and professional growth I ever acquired was in those two places. Um, and that job led me to where I'm at right now, which is the national correspondent position. And I got to tell you, I cried when I got off the phone with the recruiter because I, I, it, it was one of like, it's, you rarely get that moment because you're so lost in the movement of moving forward that you never take in those moments of, I took a step, but like that was one of the first time that I was like, I did it. <laughs> I, I never, I, the, the words I did it have never entered my mind right, until right. now, you know, like I've always thought like I'm doing it, I'm working towards it. I'm moving towards it. And now it feels like, Oh, I'm, I'm here. And now I get to grow from here. Like, but you know, what's crazy is, is, is honestly, you're probably not even here yet. Right? Oh no, not by who any knows means, what's though. next. Right. Well, exactly. And, and that's, that's my point. Like it's more, when I say I did it, I feel like we don't take the time to acknowledge the steps we've taken. Like every, Amen. I just told you a whole movie and a half of things that have happened to me and, and no point during any of those things that I ever stop and go, okay, I did it. I got the right. internship. I did it. Like 
I never felt that sense of accomplishment ever. Like, right. and getting this kind of hit me like a stack of books falling over, like everything that I'd been through kind of hit me at once. Like, holy crap. I haven't had the time to stop and, and, and actually be grateful. That's, that's, um, that's such an amazing story. <laughs> like if you start from the beginning, right. To, yeah. to how you've gotten to where you are today. Um, sorry, I know this was super long. No, 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 It's fine. I mean, uh, when there's something to talk about it, it's, it's great. Right. And, and, you know, there's a lot more things that you, you didn't mention, like, the digital producer at Disney ABC, right? Or yeah. literally reading your titles, but uh, yeah. you know, and, and that you were in, you were a television host in Florida for over two years. Yeah. Right. Like that's a grind. And, yeah. and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but that was like a four a.m. or five a.m. Like, wasn't that a super early show you did? For in Jacksonville, no. Luckily, that was um, that was your standard like Monday through Friday kind of job. Now okay. the digital producer roles, anything in news, I was either you're either working day side or night side, so you're either working in the morning or you're working at night. Okay. Uh, so I'm definitely happy to not have to be on that um, that level of grind anymore. So how did it feel in Florida? Well, I mean, I guess for both Florida and for current, but you know, having we, I mean, I'm sure you had nerves, right? Um, how did it feel when you when you finally started doing it in Jacksonville? Yeah, so being on, I mean, you're on, is that live TV or? Yeah, it was live. Um, that that felt. I gotta say, I think in that situation, I was so used to. I was so used to rejection. <laughs> like I was so used to have to break down doors and track down emails and stalk someone and bang on a door. For, I I was so used to that that. Mm-hmm when I just suddenly it was like, Oh, this is your real. Oh, this is your experience. You're perfect. Come on in my mind and where I was did not catch up to that quick enough. So if I'm being honest, I had imposter syndrome for probably the first few months that I was there (laughs) and the people that I worked with did not make that any easier. But, um, I mean, my co-host loved him to death. The photographer that the photographer and editor, Jared, those are my guys. Those are like my brothers. Um, And I really did make a family there. But like I was constantly looking for someone outside of me to let me know that, hey, I am I'm good enough. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm professional. I'm delivering the quality that they, they need. And it was that first year that I truly like it was after like that first year in Jacksonville, once that year passed, that second year, something s- eventually snaps in you, you know, because you, you're, you just kind of go, you know what? I don't care what anyone thinks. Like, I like what, like, I am the only one that needs to like my work. Like, I need to be proud of my work. I could care less because you're going to work with people that scuff at you and you're going to work with people that are like, oh, you know, because, you know, but the truth is, is that at the end of it, my work spoke for itself. You know what I mean? And it's just like in Jacksonville, the one thing I truly learned was step into your power. Like, and that was something I used to tell people, like there was people that would hit like some, some uh, people that would hit me up looking for like, Hey, advice or something. I'm like, Hey, how can I get where you, where you're at? And they'd be like, Oh, like I, you know, I, they would send me like their LinkedIn profile or whatever. And they were like, uh, write aspiring journalists. I'm like, no, like, I was like, have you, have you ever written a story? Have you ever written a story? And he, they were like, you know, like, of course. Yeah. Have you like, have you 
put it somewhere? Like, have you told it to someone? And you know, any, and, and, and even if it's an assignment and they're like, yeah, I was like, then you're not aspiring. You've done it. You are a journalist. I was like, accept that now, like, and present yourself as that and nothing less. Like right. that is what you are. I was like the first step in getting somewhere in, in a career or success is you have to fully accept that that is who you are and not, that's not something you are becoming. You know what I mean? A title will not make you a journalist. Like you are a journalist by your nature. If you can, if you compose a story and put it out there, even if it's on your Facebook page, you are reporting something like do not shortchange the experience or the work that you do. You are doing it. You know what I mean? It's like an artist that says, if you're, if you paint and you're an amazing painter, you don't have, your stuff doesn't have to sell in a gallery before you consider yourself an artist. Like that is the mentality that I, that's what ironically got me in the door. And it's the same mentality. It took me um, kind of getting, like I had to learn that the hard way despite the fact that that's the, the very mentality I came into the door with, it was something that I had to be like, I was so used to have to show people my business card, you know, like I am this, I am this, like, regardless of like the fact that you don't feel like my experience is enough. Like I was always relying on someone else to tell me whether I qualify to do this thing. And then when it got to the point that I actually did become qualified to do it, that it took me a moment to catch up to that, to that as well, you know? Right, and right. It's an amazing thing when it does, when that happens, when you realize how, you know, when you realize like, damn, I have put in the work, like you go from, I'm a journalist. The only thing you're doing is saying you're going from, I'm a journalist to becoming a journalist that you respect, that you feel like I'm, I'm a badass journalist. You know what I mean? Like you, you promoted yourself. Like, and so that's, that's really what it was for me in Jacksonville was there was a lot of personal and professional growth there. That was the first time I left Texas again. And I had severe PSD, <laughs> PTSD, I should say from, um, you know, the last time I left home was Tunisia and we all saw how that happened. Like, so how that played out. So for me, this was, there was a trigger there when I first got there too, of feeling like, was this a mistake? Did I make a mistake? Was this a bad choice? Um, and constantly questioning all of my decisions. So the one thing Jacksonville did and landing this job did for me was kind of full circle. Let me know that like the biggest thing you can do for yourself is trust yourself, like trust yourself in every component, like the decisions that you make. Um, and if you have a problem trusting yourself, it's because you are probably doing things that are inauthentic and those are changes you can make at any time. You know, you make those changes and then suddenly you can, when you fully trust yourself, you just can't go wrong. Every move that you make always ends up working out in your favor. And you just said, you just said one of the key words that everybody should try to always remember is to be authentic, yes. right? To be yourself. And when you, when you're being yourself, it's so much easier to trust yourself. Absolutely. Because usually when we have these thoughts, it's, it's like you're having these thoughts in the, in a, in a perfect mental mindset and, 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 and you think these things and you know, when you believe that you could do something or you're doing something right. And you maybe don't even realize it yet. And you're just putting the title on it or, or you, it's like, you're seeking the acceptance from a specific person to tell you that you could be this person Exactly. Um, to your point, right? Like you need the producer or some, you know, executive producer to tell you that you're a journalist, but no, guess what? You already are just at a different capacity. Right. Or, or right. You, you just are working to get to it. You are an level. entry level or, right, you know, right. like entry. it's the same thing. Like, you have to, you have to know in your mind what your, what you want your title to be. 
like, what do you want your full title to be? You know what I mean? Like, it, and you promote yourself through your journey. You know, like right now I am a journalist. I am, if you want to say entry level or novice or whatever, you per, and pr promote yourself from within that. Like, because I realize that like, if you, if you rely too heavily on your external circumstances and your external like standings and ratings, you're going to always not be satisfied, especially if you're somebody that strives to be amazing. Like you're, you're naturally hungry. You naturally want to be the best at stuff. It's never going to be good enough for you. So if you don't carry that mentality, it ends up just kind of biting you in the ass in the end. All right, Hattie. So before we let this run any longer, <laughs> last few, <laughs> last few, last few thoughts, um, for somebody aspiring to get into media, right. And, and, but here, here's something I wanted to bring back uh, from what you were saying earlier when your dad kind of had that talk with you. Um, you know, if your dad wasn't there to have that conversation with you, right? You don't, they don't, maybe somebody's parents doesn't support them in that journey. Um, do you, and I, don't, I hate to put you on the spot, but do you have any sort of advice that you could give somebody that, that necessarily doesn't have the support? Um, because we all know how support, how helpful support can be in, in, in guiding you in a journey. Um. Absolutely. So, um, I know that there are people out there that might, and, and I mean, even if it's a matter of finding my dad played a big role, obviously in that, but what he really did was he delivered the message that I needed to hear. And the thing is, is that like, for anyone that's looking to get into media and if you're if you are standing at that point where you're like i don't know if i can do that and i don't know if, it, if it's something that's truly possible for me um i'm going to tell you right now that in 2021 it is more possible now than any other time ever and it'll be more possible as time progresses because everyone is media now like everything is media now like you can pick up the phone and literally host your own show so there is nothing standing in anyone's way. I would say that like you're, you can't be afraid to put yourself out there. Like you cannot be afraid to go after what you want and you gotta be ballsy, like do shit that makes people turn, turn their head and remember your name. Like you have to, because this whole industry is so convoluted and saturated with so much, like you have to stand out. And my biggest thing that I always tell people is I'm like, when you go to, someone for you know like to, to to do that come with something in hand like come offering something you know what i mean that that they will find valuable um but if nothing else always be seeking out advice because that message you need to know what you need to hear you got to know like where are you standing like it happened that that message came from my dad but if it didn't come from him if my dad wasn't in the picture and i was still in that same state at some point you know I'm going to be like, all right, I, I know if you know, you want something enough, look into it, you know, because that message would, I mean, the amount of <laughs> memes that come up that kind of like spark those, those aha moments and stuff, all you need is inspiration. Like if you are inspired, if you back that inspiration with action, you are guaranteed to land in a better situation than you are right now, no matter what, it doesn't matter what it is. It'll be better than where you are in this very minute. Like, so I, that, that is the biggest thing I would say is, is you have to, you have to go after it with everything. Like, don't, don't hold anything back. Like, Burn the ships. like <laughs> yeah, like 
That's 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 but it. Not moving to another country, maybe. Yeah, don't don't do that. That's a bad idea. Um, you know, and another thing that I thought was absolutely fascinating um, in your story is the whole earpiece thing, right? And uh, one of the coolest things about that is, and I think we all we all go through. I go through it constantly, whether it's a, it's a giant project or or something that terrifies me, right? I don't know about you, but usually seem themed. Usually things seem to always work themselves out somehow, right? right? Like you literally went into something knowing that you had to learn this crazy skill that which was impossible to learn, especially within a week, something you'd never done before, but you tried it anyway to only get that opportunity. And then at the very, very last minute, somehow been able to figure out how you didn't need to have that skill, right? right. And that to me is just something that is, that's like a life lesson, right? Like that's one of those things that don't be afraid to try because- let's say you get it, but it's not as bad as you thought, or you might be able to figure out another way. And if exactly. you never tried, you would have never figured it out. Absolutely. Um, I mean, all you can do. And, and the thing is, is that like, even if, even if I got fired from that job, even if I did walk in and I got fired from that job and that job never happened, things are, whenever you're, whenever you're, I believe this, like if you, if your soul is calling for something, if it's yearning for something, you're going to find yourself in those situations over and over again. And all that would have done is made me go, I need to make sure that I'm prepared for the next opportunity that comes along. And another opportunity did. They always do. They always you know come. what I mean? Like it's never the last opportunity. It's never the, mm -hmm. it's never the last thing to come. So make sure you're ready for the next one. If this one didn't work out. Hattie, any last thoughts? No, I think I've talked enough. <laughs> <laughs> Addie, no, this has been awesome. Uh, we're we look. I really appreciate you you sharing and being vulnerable enough to 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 share a part of your life that maybe somebody hasn't heard of. Um, you know, we talked earlier, and I told you this whole show is is uh, if we can inspire one person or twenty people or a hundred people Absolutely. to try something and and to 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 not be afraid and or if they are afraid to try it anyway. Um, it takes people like you sharing their stories and, and, uh, you know, from college dropout to, uh, national TV to TV host to who knows what's next superstar, you know, um, that's amazing. And, I don't know. Uh, I'm learning the drums right now. So we'll see, uh, see if I become a, I'll tour in a rock band. I'll bring eighties hair, hair bands back. <laughs> if y'all, yo, seriously, if you don't follow her on Instagram, she does the funniest stuff. I think he did a Michael Jackson moonwalk across the. That's what I do. It's, it's, it's literally it's hilarious. It's when, great. When you live in, in the world. Right. Well, cool. Thanks, Hattie. Uh, we really appreciate it. And uh, we'll catch you on the next episode. Premium.